Welcome to Emerge, the health podcast for busy, high-performing women. Each week, we feature interviews, information, and inspiration that will motivate you to transform from overwhelmed, overworked, and overweight to vibrant, energetic, and on fire. My name is Dr. Alex Swenson-Ridley, selfless syndrome expert, board-certified women's health coach, and alternative medicine practitioner, wife, mom, and entrepreneur. I specialize in health for busy and driven women. Listen weekly as I share the tools, perspective, and knowledge you need to lose weight, boost your energy, and fall in love with yourself so that you can serve the world with an even bigger impact. Hello, welcome back to Emerge, the health podcast for busy, high-performing women. I'm your host, Dr. Alex Swenson-Ridley, and I am very excited for today's guest and conversation because we're actually going to talk about some stuff I haven't before, but I am joined by Dr. Sylvia Gonson-Bowley, who is a dual board-certified obesity medicine specialist, and she herself has lost 60 pounds of baby weight twice and been able to maintain her weight loss for over six years through effective stress management, intuitive eating, and running over 3,700 miles since 2014. We can have that conversation too. Um, (laughs) I'm also a former runner. She's had over 10,000 patient encounters and helped hundreds of patients reach their weight goals through her holistic, scientific, personalized approach to sustainable weight loss. So Dr. Sylvia, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited to dive in. We have all kinds of things we can talk about now, but, um, you know, as I always do with my, my guests on the show, I love to just open the conversation with hearing a little bit about your journey and how you got to the place you're at right now. Um, so wherever you want to start with that is great. (laughs) Absolutely. So when I was a young med student, if you had told me I'd be sitting here right now, as a entrepreneur, a mom of two, a body positive weight and wellness specialist, I would have said, not me, but that is where my journey has taken me. And really how I got here, it started when I had that, I had my first child, I had a son, a baby boy, and it was, you know, it was an exciting time of life, but my, I like to say my obesity genes kicked in because all the hormonal changes with pregnancy really caused me to gain a lot of weight. I gained about 60 pounds with that pregnancy and then it changed my metabolism completely and all the unhealthy habits that I had had when I, before pregnancy, like um, stress eating, people pleasing, not sleeping, all of that made it so hard for me to lose the weight. And being that I'm such a honest person, as you'll probably see through this conversation, like I couldn't fake the funk. Like I was trying to counsel my patients and tell them, oh, you need to lose weight. And then a little voice in my head, which for me is God would be like, uh, you need to lose weight. And then I would ask them, what are you eating? And then God would be like, what did you just eat? And I think about the fried chicken, mac and cheese, all the stuff I was as a Southerner was eating. And I'd be like, "Mm," I'd clamp up. Then I'd ask, oh, are you exercising? And then God's like, when did you last exercise? And clearly it had been like two years ago before I had the baby. So I really was like out of shape, not living it. And it really was affecting my confidence, not just physically as a woman and what I wore. I've always loved clothing and fashion. If you're not watching this, you probably see I have a lot of color on right now. Dr. Alex can see. Pink lips. But, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Pink lipstick always, you know, <laughs> wake up <laughs> with lipstick. So, um, 
So, yeah, so it was really affecting my confidence, but not only just as a woman, but as a physician, like I didn't feel comfortable advising people and I wasn't living the lifestyle. I really believe we have to lead by example and teach by example. And the studies show that it shows that doctors who are overweight or have obesity are less likely to diagnose and treat it. And that's what I was living. So I was like, I'm going to make a change. Not today, not, not tomorrow instantaneously. And so I tried to do what I had learned to do coming of age in the late eighties, nineties, which was calories in calories out. I started trying to restrict my calories, calorie count. It came up with this rigorous exercise program. I was going to start every day after I finished working a 14 hour day and, you know, see, had tons of notes and then coming home, trying to take care of a two-year-old. And within one week, I I was like totally burnt out. I had done none of that. And really what that what taught what it taught me was like that wasn't going to work anymore. I had gotten to a point where, you know, after years of going through school, being in my career, starting it off, I was tired and I was exhausted. And so putting on this unrealistic diet program in the middle of my busy life and when I had to take care of so many other things, it just wasn't going to work. But of course, I still felt like a failure. And so yeah, exactly. I did because, you know, we set goals. You want to hit that goal. And why can't I do this? I've done it before. And really what had, like, what was the turning point for me? I was confiding in a good girlfriend thinking she was going to give me another diet or something to do. And all she said was be nice to Sylvia. I like her. And like, that was the light bulb moment. Like I'm talking to myself the way I would never talk to a patient, a friend, really even a stranger and certainly not how I would want my child to hear me talking to myself. And so that was when I decided I was, what would it look like to show myself love, show myself compassion on my wellness journey and really move it from a focusing on weight loss and what I was losing, but really what I was releasing. And so some of the things I had to release was like stress eating, putting everyone's needs above my own, talking to myself negatively, releasing all of that really opened my eyes up to like, hey, first of all, you didn't even learn the latest in weight science in med school. I graduated med school in 2010. They didn't recognize obesity or body fat dysregulation as a disease till 2013. 13. So everything I had learned about calories in, calories out was wrong and outdated. So that led me to get boarded in obesity medicine, start a weight management practice down at my previous employer. And then eventually I just learned that, hey, the way that we talk about women's bodies, the way we talk about eating and our body habits is wrong. And it really can't be a one-size-fits-all approach. We have to individualize it. And so that's when I started Embrace You Weight and Wellness last year while working on the COVID front lines. So that's my journey. It started personally, and then I expanded it to bring everyone in because I'm like, everyone needs to be able to figure out what works for you. Yeah, I love that. And I, I totally align with you on so many levels. You know, I it's really an individualized journey and like the mm-hmm. diet or the exercise, like it, not, you know, it doesn't work for everybody. And a lot of times we have to tweak it into what's going to really work for us. And there's a lot of compounding factors like our lives. It's not, that we, <laughs> you know, pause our lives to do this thing. It's like, we got to figure out what works inside of our lives. Cause if you don't, it's not sustainable as you have learned. So exactly. Really exactly. Awesome. And I personally, I find it refreshing to find a medical doctor who is, you know, 
leading the charge on a lot of this because I can't tell you how many, you know, I, I function kind of in the outside the box world, mm-hmm. but, um, and it sounds like you've started to as well, but, you know, I can't tell you how many women I've talked to have been like, well, I went to the doctor and they told me to lose weight. I'm like, okay. any guidance around that and like I think there's just such this stigma around like it's our fault and you know we're lazy or whatever and that's not the case for 99% of us I would say and so Mm -hmm. it's you know let's let's maybe dive into some of the things that are like totally screwed up about that and how we you know how we actually get started let's do it (laughs) you got me fired (laughs) up let's talk about it (laughs) so um you know, and the first thing I, we, we kind of briefly touched on that you have a, a bit of a soapbox around the BMI scale. So maybe let's start there and then we'll just. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. So, you know, I think a lot of the medical stigma and the weight bias, that's the, you know, nerdy way that we call it, but the shaming, the blaming, guilting people into feeling, it starts with the very assessment tool that we use, which is this thing called the body mass index. And the thing about the body mass index, it actually like its inception started in 1832 in Belgium. And it was just, yeah. Yeah. 1832. And it was in Belgium. And and the guy who came up with it, um, Quince Led, he simply made an, he was an anthropologist and a mathematician. So he combined these two loves. He made this observation that as people grew, their height, their weight change in proportion to their height in meters squared. He thought nothing of it. He was like, this is just a cool observation, kept track of it. And then rest his soul, he passed away. So fast forward to the um, 20th century, the 1900s here in the US, there was these things called life insurance. And I'm a bit of a history nerd. I'm sorry, I'm going to take y'all down to my Jeopardy route. Okay. So yeah, so but I think it's important to understand in history because once that light clicks and you're like, why am I letting this define me if I, um, you know, because it really wasn't meant for this tool. So in 19, so in the 1970s, Dr. Ansel Keys, who's kind of considered the father of modern nutrition here in the US, he came up with a lot of things that we use. Um, he was, his pet peeve was that there were these life insurance tables that were based on weight, but there was no standardization. Basically the insurance companies would just look at groups of people and say, okay, this is a cutoff for your, your health insurance and your rates are going to go up based on your weight or whatever we decide. So he said, hmm, there was that cool little thing that I read about from that mathematician, Quinslet. Why don't we use that as a calculation? And we'll call this the body mass index. And we'll use, and then we'll pick a cutoff using this as a standard. And then that will be where we decide the weight or your risk for weight-related health disease. So already in the beginning, it was sort of arbitrary where he picked up. He has some idea from the nutrition studies and things like that. But then as time went on, it gets adopted by the National Institutes of Health, the World Health Organization, and just as recently as 1985. So many of us, you know, we had already been born. So this is not a long time ago. And so all our data starts coming from this in terms of weight-related disease. But from the beginning, 
the most important thing that you as an individual needs to know is that when we look at these tables and we look at these graphs, it was meant for population-based data. So it means like, you know, usually the mistake that a lot of doctors make, and I honestly used to I'll take onus before I understood it, we would say, okay, you come in, you weigh yourself, we weigh a patient, like someone comes in, we weigh you, then we look at this table and see where your weight is on that table and we say, okay, you're overweight, you need to get down to X this amount of pounds, but that is not how the BMI was made to be used. It was made to say like, at this height, most people are this weight. And if you fall above this weight, you may be at risk for weight-related diseases, we need to do more assessment. So it's just the start of the conversation. It shouldn't be the be-all, end-all. And I find so many people have been misled. And when people come to see me, they've tried so many diets, so many programs, nothing works, nothing can stick. And then I say, okay, well, what's your healthy weight? What's your what's your happy weight? And they have this set number in their head that started from what their doctor way back when told them. So really it's so important that you really understand that this is not the BMI is just a start for you, but it's not your be all end all. I like to say BMI is a lie, but which I think everyone will everyone will remember that I said that BMI is a lie. It is though, but is it but really is really just the start of where the conversation should begin. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, I feel like we attach so much to it and in an unhealthy way, maybe you can, you know, contribute to this. Like I found BMI really doesn't account for things like muscle mass or how, you know, how physically active you are. Like, I can't tell you how many, you know, meatheads I went to chiropractic school with that on a BMI Mm -hmm. are considered morbidly obese, but they've got 0% body fat and abs for days. Like, you know, so I think we have to kind of also look at there's, there's a, other factors. We'll, we'll just put it that way that are important. Yeah. And that's what I call your healthy way. So like in my book in chapter two, um, I walk people through a strategy of how do you figure your healthy way? Because what you're talking about is body composition, right? BMI just looks at your total body weight, but it doesn't tell you how. And really, when we even talk about healthy weight or weight loss, we're really, we should be saying fat, fat loss. Yeah. And first of all, let me say, Fat is not all bad. As women in particular, we need fat. Fat helps for our hormonal regulation. It even helps for our mood regulation. It helps. It has so many protective factors in our body. So fat is not all bad, but there is a threshold at which we get body fat dysfunction and body fat disruption. And that's going to really differ for most people. But by and large, we know if you say, look at the population, 32%, greater than 32% body fat. It's kind of that cutoff. Or if you carry a lot of your body fat in the middle, so that what we call central adiposity or common folks call belly fat. (laughs) So if you have a lot of belly fat um, and your waist circumference is greater than 35 inches, then that is going to put you at risk for what we call metabolic diseases and metabolic syndrome. So that's really what we should be looking for to determine your healthy weight. Do you have a high percentage of body fat that is elite above 32%? Is your waist circumference greater than 35 inches? Is your specific adjusted BMI? Because B 
the BMI also needs to be adjusted based on your gender, based on your ethnicity, based on your age, based on um, your musculature, like how much do you work out? Because your muscle mass is going to determine whether that number is off or not. So using all those factors, we can figure out a specific healthy weight for you, not just looking at the body mass index chart. Yeah. I really like that. <laughs> and then it's a, it's a refreshing way to look at it because there are, there's so many other factors that um, compound it. And I had no idea BMI has been around since the 1800s. That's, that's amazing. To when, me. I saw, when I read that too, I was like, really? Like, if you think about like, what other things do we use regular, like and adhere to yeah. in common modern medicine that started in 1832 and has not been significantly improved upon. The thing about yeah. it, I think it's a thing we need to work on improving upon it now. And, and part of it, like you mentioned, is that bias, right? That this is your fault. Like there are over a hundred contributors to what we call body fat disruption or body fat storage imbalance, right? That leads you to have excess body fat. But most, the only thing most people think about is diet and exercise as if it's a choice, but any one of us can talk about that friend who is like this, like so much smaller than us, but can throw down and eat at you, like out eat you and they never gain weight. So there is certainly a genetic component to it. And I definitely experienced that in my own journey when I like, I was almost like pregnancy was like a switch and it was like, okay, it's time for your weight gain genes to turn on now, which I didn't, you know, before I could like eat anything and not gain weight but after pregnancy now it's like I have to really work at it yeah so that's it so what are some of the other you know things that maybe we don't think about that cause that body fat dysregulation and I I really like that term that's a it's a refreshing way to look at well thank you darling morbidly obese let's just say you have some body fat dysregulation going on (laughs) and that's really what it what it what it is I mean if you look at it on a hormonal level and on a molecular level biochemical level so um and so there are so many things but let's start with the common things um that especially since I'm talking to busy women Sleep disruption. Mm-hmm. So getting less than seven hours of sleep or getting more than nine hours of sleep, if you're one of those lucky few, um, is really going to disrupt those um, fat storage the signaling system in your body. So you probably have heard about things like insulin, leptin, ghrelin, all of this. They work together in a nice symphony that follows your circadian rhythm. So when you get sleep disruption, um, that really can cause to body fat storage disruption for a lot of people and will lead you. If you get um, less than seven to nine hours of sleep, you will, you're going to weigh on average by 11% more than people who get that amount. So sleep is a big one. Even if you're eating well and exercising or moving regularly, sleep can do it. Stress We have all been under a lot of stress, right? And so stress and those cortisol levels, it really can disrupt, again, that whole signaling pathway and lead to body fat disruption, body fat storage disruption for a lot of people. So it's really important to keep your stress levels well controlled, especially don't, I just recommend not going more than two days of being stressed because we start to see trouble and start to see problems as soon 
with just as those two days, but also other things like depression, anxiety, childhood trauma. Like we really wear what we have been through. Weight is not just a number. It is also, it's the symptom of everything else that we're carrying with us. And so I think it's so important to think about it that way. Yeah. And you bring up a really good point. You know, a lot of this is stuff I work on with women and kind of a, I mean, I do a pretty involved long program, but you know, we're dealing mm-hmm. with trauma and we're dealing with all this other stuff. And mm-hmm. a lot of times in order to release the pounds, you have to release a bunch of other stuff first. Absolutely. Same here. That is exactly the same thing in my, I have a um, 12 week initial program and a, a lot of it is teaching people, what are these other things you're carrying that need to be released? Because until you do that, you can't get the clarity and the confidence so that you can have consistency on your journey. You know, a lot of people are trying to get consistency and you're carrying all these things around with you. Yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, that really does require looking outside the box because we're going beyond just what's wrong with me physically. It's like, Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So huge. I'm, I'm just excited that you, you do similar thing. Okay. So we have, you know, looking at all those underlying factors that maybe have nothing to do with how you eat or, you know, how much water you drink and you've been doing all those things and it's not working. Like this is where we, we start to focus. Um, and then you, you mentioned a healthy weight and a happy weight. So what's the difference? Mm-hmm. Between two? I'm curious about this. Yes. So happy weight, I like to say, I mean, healthy weight is facts, right? It's just data. It's like, you know, I've talked about a lot of stuff, body fat percentage, waist circumference, all of that adjusted BMI. But happy weight, that's feelings. That's how do you feel about yourself? Yay, feelings. All right. (laughs) I'll refrain from singing. I love singing. I I always have a song. (laughs) So, but yeah, so that's how do you feel about yourself? Like, what weight do you feel most confident? confident in your skin, most comfortable. And we all have that. And and what I have found, sometimes there's a discrepancy between the healthy weight and the happy weight. And really, if we are going to, if you're going to be satisfied in who you are and confident in who you are, those two have to be in alignment and they have to match. And one of the things too, is that part of it sometimes is really hard for us to hear what our happy weight is because there's so many external influences. You know what I'm saying? Like we're we're told basically from the time you're young, what you should look like as a woman or what aesthetic you should ascribe to. And even we, the medical community, we feed into this because what happens when a doctor tells you, oh, you should weigh X, Y, Z. So a lot of times to help people understand their happy weight, I have to help them get cut through all the noise from all the years so that you can really figure out, okay, where do I feel most comfortable in? Where do I look my best, thrive, feel my best and feel like I'm thriving. And that's what the happy weight is. I like that. And I think that'll vary for, for everybody. You know, I've I've talked with other women on the show. um, And I think this is true for all of us. We, you know, we have this input around body image and I know I struggled. Mm-hmm. We can talk about running too, but I was a marathon mm-hmm. runner in the Atlanta oh, cool. when I lived there. And, you know, and at that time I was tiny, like my weight wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, I, I never really weighed less than 130 pounds. I think it's just kind of like probably where my healthy weight was, but I was a size zero, you know, skinny. Mm-hmm. Like, and I look back at pictures of myself, but what I remember at that is, you know, still feeling like I was too fat or, you know, like I needed to lose something or, you know, something was wrong and granted running can also be a stress on the body. So we can talk about that, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, and now I look back at it and I'm like, well, I'd love to look like that again, but you know, we have this, this 
I guess, perception where like, there's mm-hmm. kind of like never an end. And so I like this idea of the happy weight of just like, go more my, like how you feel um, mm-hmm. and worry less around like what size jeans you fit into and, and all that. And it can be hard to kind of navigate all that in your head. So I don't know what input you have around that, but it's something I've been mm-hmm. thinking about lately. Well, again, this is why I hear you, Dr. I was like, this is why I had to write the book. And I'm not like trying yeah, to push no, no, my heart into it because these are the conversations that I was having, right, with people. Mm-hmm. And so like, again, so chapter two is hat is your healthy weight. And then chapter three is your happy weight. And that's also what I kind of do in my program as well, where we really kind of sort through what are the people, what are the places, what are the, um, the influences that you're getting that are really affecting your ability to see and hear your happy weight because it's so important because a lot of times there's there's both the conscious like somebody who's actually telling you oh you should lose weight but there's this subconscious too like when you're scrolling through instagram and you see only certain body types in your um feed or if you are you know used to hearing other people talk about certain songs or images and things like that. So wherever you're getting that from, sometimes you have to get really get clear on where are these images or where are these ideas coming from that are not my own for you to figure it out. Because and and I've I've seen it so many times and I see it you know we, actually we just had this conversation on Saturday in our group session um, and the breakthrough for the person was like really recognizing that like from childhood she was a dancer and basically being put in that competition of comparing herself to other dancers and she really wasn't abnormal. She wasn't actually that much out of the norm, but it was because she was being compared to a group that was so petite that it made her feel that way her whole life. And so really getting clear, then we're like, okay, now you can, now do you have to be that size to feel confident, to be energetic? Not necessarily. So it's breaking through those mindsets and those mental barriers of what we've been through. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we all have those moments and those stories. Like I was a a pretty high level soccer player all through high Mm -hmm. school and into college. And I remember when I was 16, my dad made some comment about how I should weigh 116 pounds. And like, at that point I had a soccer button. I weighed like 125, 130. And I, you know, looking back on it, like I had the wherewithal to be like, you know, what's wrong with you, dad. But I also had this body image conversation that I think, you know, came from, and you know, so we get this input from anywhere. Like our families don't mean like bad things or, you know, they're not trying to be Mm -hmm. negative to us. They might like think they're trying to be helpful, but we have to really, like you said, be able to cut through that noise and almost be empowered and like stand firm in who we are and, you know, decide for ourselves where we feel good. Like that's really what it comes down to. Exactly. And stop waiting until when. I think, you know, diet culture and everything is like, oh, you can feel good after you lose the 10 pounds, after you lose the 20 pounds. But, you know, part of the embrace you journey, part of embracing you is recognizing that I can still love myself, even if I have a goal that I'm trying to get to, or that I'm trying to optimize myself. Like, People, I think, honestly, if I speak freely, diet culture has kind of made it seem like self-love is a form of complacency and that if you're complacent, you're never going to try to improve yourself. Actually, self-love is just a form of contentment and contentment so that you can be content and still have 
greater dreams and aspirations for yourself that may involve releasing weight or it may be realizing that, hey, I don't have anything to release. I can stay here and still be healthy and still be happy and still be whole, which is what it's about. Yeah, I love that on so many levels. And, you know, I don't know where it came from the need. And I honestly, I feel like this is kind of, and you can agree or disagree with me, but uh-huh. I think you work with all women too. You know, it's, it's kind yeah. of a male dominated way of thinking of like, we have to beat ourselves up or we have to, like, mm-hmm. I have a male business coach and I appreciate some things about <laughs> that, but I also like, I'm just some, and some of our interactions, like, you know, one day he beat me up pretty hard and I, I kind of needed it, but I like came out of it, you know, feeling kind of disempowered in some ways and yeah. like idiot on, on most levels and you know we can do this inside of our health journey or, or whatever it is mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I think it's more of a female thing to find like we we're nurturing by nature and we have yes. to find that nurture gene like whatever you want to call it gene expression whatever for ourselves as well because mm-hmm. we tend to I talk about self-less syndrome and you kind of alluded mm-hmm. to it you know where we're focusing yeah. on everyone else but we have to part of where we get to that release is by bringing that focus back within ourselves and just loving ourselves. Cause like you shared, you know, we can be so hard on ourselves and so negative and that changes our energy and, you know, creates all this stuff that's just going to make it harder to, to get to where we want to be. Absolutely. And, you know, at this point, I feel like it's gotten so confused because, of course, when you said that, then I'm going to think about Jillian Michaels, right? (laughs) (laughs) But but I think I think it is like the marketing and around like dieting and weight loss and the whole industry has gotten so negative and like really like be like me and less like you and this is what you should do and this is the only way to do it and that comes from multiple multiple sources like I said I think. I take onus as someone who's a part of the standard and traditional healthcare system that we have pitched at for a long time. Um, and so, and then also then there's food marketing, there's a diet marketing, there's the programs, it's all kind of around that vein. And what it can really be internalized until you have that wake up call is like, I, I, I'm not good enough or I can't do it like me. I can't like me and get there. So, and which is why you see the opposite now, which is where people have gotten to this. I don't, I wouldn't even say it's body positive because I think we should all be body positive. I think it's like, rebellion <laughs> rebellion right it's, it's like yeah. it's like it's sis okay i i get it yes you should love yourself but if loving yourself is causing you to be more at risk for heart disease cancer all of those things is that really a form of self-love so to me i say i'm a body positive weight and wellness um, physician and sometimes people see that as like anti-weight loss i'm not against it i'm just saying that we should body positivity should be at the basis, the foundation of whatever you decide to do, whether you decide to stay at that weight, whether you decide to release weight, positivity should be your determination. Because even if you're doing it at a, out of a place like, you know, screw them, they told me I should lose weight and I'm going to love myself. Like that's anger. And anger is yeah. toxic to the body. So we need to release that too. I don't see that as being body positive. I see that as being angry and you got to release it. Yeah. No, I love that. And that's good contextualization. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> for those listening, because I, I, 
and and I know for me too, like I um I've shared, I've been on a weight loss journey. I've lost about 30 pounds since March. Wow. So the last, you know, six months or so. And um so much of it, like I finally hit this point where I was just upset with myself. And that was, you know, part of what kicked me into gear. But to really get there, I had to shift and just accept where I was to, you know, make the the shift mm. into acceptance first. Because if you just go at it as like I'm angry and I'm mad and I need to do this, you get frustrated and you know, your mm-hmm. mindset is constantly just bringing you down and it's like nothing works there. I just I promise I was there for three years mm-hmm. um, myself, even though I coach other women around how to take control of their health and their life. It was, you kind of had that integrity thing with yourself as well as a physician that I, mm-hmm. I went through. And ever since then, it's like, Oh, my clients weight, lose weight too. But it's, you know, we have to make that, that shift and not come at it uh, from a toxic emotion. Um, absolutely. Exactly. And you bring up a good point. I'm going to go right there. It's like so often again, with your selfless syndrome, we're taking care of everyone else. It is so easy to lose sight of yourself. And what you need, and especially, but like you said, because we are nurturers, because we are cares, because we care about other people, like, I think one of the greatest lessons that I learned is like, self-love is, enhances my ability to love everyone else around me. It makes me a better physician. It makes me a better coach. It makes me a better mother, wife, like whatever your role is, it helps. It is, I don't want to use the cliche, self-love is not selfish, but it's just true. <laughs> self-love is helpful. You know, yeah. you really need that as at your foundation because it really does help you. It, and for me, again, I'm a believer and, you know, the Bible is my background, but I think there's so many truths there is like, love your neighbor as yourself. And I think we have really gotten to the point where like just love your neighbor, love your your kids, love, love, love. But you forget that as yourself, you can't love them if you if you are not give, pouring love into yourself. So I think that's the balance that's needed. Yeah, and that's getting into you know practice what you preach. Like practice mm-hmm. it on yourself first. There's a new concept. <laughs> so, I told um, you, I, I'd be asking those questions. God like, mm. and you are doing, <laughs> yeah. I guess we're not going to cancel on lifestyle today. Let's just keep it moving. <laughs> you know, and I think that brings up another point. Like sometimes we have to be confronted in a way that it, you know, sometimes it's like the, um, you know, you can't take help someone else with the sty in the eye if you have, you know, you can't see whatever that quote is. I'm I'm totally butchering it, but like we the have log, to yeah, first before we can the log. <laughs> yeah, influence other people. And that goes for anyone in your life. Like, you know, whether you're in a position where you're helping people with health and wellness or not, like we all are on some level because we have families and we have people that we yeah. care about. And the better care we take care of us, you know, for ourselves. And I think it's important to bring up like it is not as as cliche as it sounds. We, so many of us feel guilty about making time for ourselves or doing things for ourselves. I know I went through this, especially when my kids were, or my kid was younger mm-hmm. and I'm just like, nope, I'm better mom when I do it. Okay. <laughs> much better. That, yes. And I love that. That's what you have to tell yourself. Like I am much nicer. I'm much kinder when I go for my daily, like when I go for my run, when I work out, like yeah. I'm a, a better able to do that. <laughs> yeah. And that totally shifts the, the place we come from with all that. 
So in, in bringing this all together, I guess the one other piece I wanted to touch on with you, if you're, you know, game with it, because I find so many, and my child is screaming downstairs, I apologize, but I like to hear him in the background, but homeschooling, woohoo, anyways, is, yeah, we all get it now. Um, you know, so many women I, I come across are, you know, they've been doing the restrictive dieting for so mm. long and it's like, mm-hmm. we've lost the joy of eating and our food and feel like we have to maintain this. It's like, oh gosh, if I eat that, like whatever thing, that one time, that piece of pizza that, you know, it's going to make me gain 10 pounds. Like we just have this crazy obsession with our food and it's created some really unhealthy habits where you know, I see women currently under eating and, you know, just mm-hmm. having this horrible relationship with food. So what, what insight input can you kind of bring to that? Yeah. Ooh, that's the whole, that's powerful, right? That's a, <laughs> that's a whole other chapter of my book, but you know, book, I, but. <laughs> yeah, no, I no seriously, though, I would honestly say that in order for you to to make a sustainable change on your weight loss journey, on your wellness journey, you have to enjoy what you're doing. You have it has to have be enjoyable, satisfying to you, which is all of the things that we basically taught. Like if it looks good, if it tastes good, and this again is marketing, right? If it looks good, it tastes good, then it's not good for you. So buy my diet food because this is going to be better for you. And and honestly, um, when you really understand how, how your body stores fat and why it stores fat, then you can appreciate that under eating is actually driving your body to store more fat. And it's actually slowing down your metabolism because our bodies were made to prevent starvation and to prevent famine. So like if you are dieting and really restricting yourself, you're basically telling your body that, hey, I am in starvation mode. So slow my metabolism down as much as possible and hang on to any bit of energy or any calorie you get and and hold on to it. And so even though you may get some short-term weight loss, it, it's probably coming from water weight. <laughs> Next is going to be your muscle, which you actually need for your fat burning. And it's not going to be storing um, coming from fat where you want it to be. So just understanding that bit of science behind it really can help you figure out, okay, how do I eat foods that are nourishing for me, that make me feel good, not just when I put it in my mouth, but afterwards as well? And for me, honestly, the game changer, and I'm coming and I'm coming from a background where I, when I look at my journals from when I was 15, I was truly fat phobic because my grandmother who came to live with me, um, she had diabetes, hypertension, eventually had a massive stroke. And the doctor, of course, said it was all because of her weight. So I never wanted to like gain weight. And so I used to like calorie count from the age of 15. Like I had like Twinkie, 150 calories. I'm like, this is not healthy. Like if my teenager like starts, if I look at it, I'm going to be like, they have an eating problem, like a disordered eating, right? But I knew it. So I say that to say I come from a background where I really get that whole restrictive eating pattern. But once I recognize that, 
forcing my, like withholding was actually causing me to store more fat and causing more cravings. It was a game changer for me and that I could figure out, okay, how can I, I can eat these things, but I don't want to necessarily eat them because I know the outcome. It just shifted my whole um, relationship with food. And I think what you're driving at is like, we have to change our relationship with food. And it really is. That's what it is. Like we can't treat the foods we love like that, that, boyfriend we're cheating on like we're sneaking behind the, the refrigerator to meet like ooh, i'm gonna meet that that hot fudge sunday tonight no like you know it's okay y'all can have a consensual relationship but it doesn't have to be like you don't have to sneak around <laughs> it's just about finding out oh, yeah. what's mutually beneficial for you <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, the more you, I guess, love your body, love yourself. And a lot of that is through the foods that you give yourself and, you know, and divorcing the emotions from it to like, what does your body actually need? Not what did my emotions say I need right now? It, you start to really shift what you crave and what you, you know. And I think emotions, you know, again, I'm a reformer emotional eater, but like emotions can also tell you, I think a lot of times we just focus on how we feel before we eat it or even when we eat it. But if you think about the after, like, how do I feel after? Like, yeah, that may taste good while I'm eating it and during, but afterwards, like, do I have stomach cramping? Am I bloated? When I go for a run, look, okay, I'm going to tell you, when I go for a run, does my butt feel like saddlebags hitting my back? Like, that is my pet peeve. Like, I always know I have overdone it when my butt feels like saddlebags hitting my back. Like, if I feel that, then I'm like, okay, yeah, I have gone too far and it doesn't, it doesn't feel good. And, you know, and we, and being gracious with yourself, like we all have our moments. I've been now seven years um, in this journey of my wellness journey. And I still have time. Like we went to the pumpkin patch this weekend and they stayed someone advertised the best darn kettle corn. That is like my kryptonite. Look, kettle corn. But the next day I went for a run, I felt it. I was like, see, this is why I don't do this. Okay. So, you know, we learn and each experience helps us refine and get better. It's a process. You don't need perfection. It's part of the process. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I always say so many of us have this backwards, like we, we eat like crap 80% of the time. And then 20% of the time we try to eat well, and it really, we need to flip it, you know, it like mm-hmm. 80% of the time we're eating the good stuff for the 20% of the time that like you're on vacation or you go to the pumpkin patch and you want to have the thing. And like, you know, exactly. and we don't have to feel guilty about that because the majority of what we do is it's in line with keeping us on the right track. So I think also again, diet culture, and we could talk all day. It's like we're really vibing. <laughs> like um, so, but the um diet culture is also, you know, you see those shirts that's like we'll run for cupcakes and like <laughs> And I, I used to kind of like that stuff, but I realized it's the opposite now. I don't want to run for cupcakes. You know what I'm saying? I want to have a cupcake here or there if I enjoy it. But like, if I'm only doing this physical activity, this movement, because I want to eat certain foods, it sets up a really unhealthy, un, um, mentally unhealthy balance in why I do what I do. And so I think shifting that mindset, like, exercise and food is not a crime and punishment relationship. (laughs) Like it's, it's all part of the enjoyment journey. Yeah. Yeah. 
I love that. And you're right. We could talk all day. <laughs> I can't talk we could. I like, another we diet chat, but we're right. like, this is good. Like I met my girl in Alaska. This is awesome. We're like, we're really vibing. like this, I met my love sister it. from another brother here. This is yeah. wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> it's fantastic. But rather than having a three hour episode, because <laughs> yeah, the whole, you know, the, the dichotomy between exercise and food and all of that yeah. is like, it's a whole other, probably a whole other topic. We can do another episode around that but let's do it <laughs> uh, yeah so I know you have and I, I'm not surprised it's a best-selling book now just because of the the quality of the conversation we've had around this but you know for those of you who want more you've been listening and like I want more and I'm I'm committed to never having a podcast more than 45 minutes so <laughs> probably wrap it up but um where can they go to find the book and you know just kind of give us a little background on because I I know that we've talked a lot about a lot of kind of things yeah, that yeah. Talk about in there so just tell us a little bit more about that and Sure. So yeah, I'm super excited because actually just last week it was listed as um, Livestrong.com's one of their top eight weight loss books of um, 2021. And it is a bestseller. Thank you. Yeah. But I really wanted, I created this so that we change our conversation around weight loss and really talk about wellness and really making sure you have the tools to understand it both scientifically, but also individually, like how you feel about your body. And so that is what Embrace You is. And it's not just a book about read my story, how I did, but helping you create a strategy, your wellness strategy for life. So each chapter you'll be guided through like the things we talked about today, your healthy weight, your happy weight, but also how do you come up with a sleep strategy, stress management strategy, and how do you make this last? Make it make it last forever. I'll refrain from singing, but make it last forever. Okay, can't help myself. <laughs> I totally think so. <laughs> so that is the goal of it, um, because really, it's not about trying to do everything that everyone else does. How are you going to embrace you and make this your lifelong journey? So that's what it's about. And so you can find the book. It's on Amazon. But if you head over to my um, page, it's at www.embraceyoubook.com. Then you can join my virtual book club and you'll get um, just different emails that will tell you some inside stories, inside tips to accompany you with um, as you read the book. And then I'll also be doing some virtual book clubs in live and real time. And um, some, if you're in the DC metro area on the East coast, we'll be doing some book signings there as well. Very cool. Very exciting. And I'll, I'll put all that in the show notes for our, for our listeners. And we have listeners all over the world actually. So you know, wonderful. Yeah. Check that out. But Dr. Sylvia, thank you so much for, for joining us. I feel like we might have to have a round two here. <laughs> I'm totally okay. I know. We had so much fun. I know both yeah. of our kids are like coming home now. We found out we both have eight-year-olds. So yeah, I, yeah. I'm look, looking out the window. I expect him barging in any minute, blowing up yeah. the spot. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for, for your time and just your conversation and expertise. I really enjoyed this and I'm sure our listeners did too. Me too. Thank you so much for all you do and just your whole person approach to health. It I love it. Thank you for tuning in to Emerge, the health podcast for busy, high-performing women, where we provide you with the tools, information, and inspiration you need to transform from overwhelmed, overworked, and overweight to vibrant, energetic, and on fire. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to iTunes to subscribe and also leave us a review. 
Also, I don't want to be working with you on your health only once or twice a week. I want to be in this conversation and in the trenches with you every single day. I invite you to join me in the Emergent Women Community Group on Facebook for the chance to interact with me live once a week and even more information, inspiration, and motivation to transform your health and become the vibrant, energetic, and on-fire version of yourself we all know is under there. Until next time, remember to keep putting yourself first so that you can better serve the ones you love and the things you are passionate about. Mm -hmm.